Here we go. My name is Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 483. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being, is a parent's self-understanding. Uh, on today's show, we're going to talk about uh, an interview that Dax Shepard did on his podcast with a guy named John Gottman. And it's about labeling kids and relationships and husband-wife stuff and relationship stuff and even a little bit of S-E-X. You said a lot of stuff. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Okay. Um, but two quick takes before we start. Okay. One, this is podcast number 483. Uh, 482 is an abbreviated podcast last week where I did a video podcast and Sweetie was not as impressed with it as I was. And I just want to <laughs> say that you really made me sad I'm and sorry. Brad sad. I did not make Brad, Brad sad. Well, Brad didn't hear what you said, but you're like, what's the big deal? So there's video on our podcast. They could pull it off on YouTube. Yes, but they couldn't see it within the confines of their podcast app on their phone. Okay. I think it's great. I demand that you like it uh no i demand that you um say you're sorry apologize yeah right um the well, other hold on so it's not that i didn't think it was cool but there was you i don't had think you such do. a reaction. i don't think you did think it was cool. you had such a reaction to it and first of all i've seen that video like eighty thousand times because it's our video for the conference yeah and so i was like and so it shows a video and like, cause we had already put it on Instagram. We had already put it on Facebook. I didn't understand. I, it wasn't that I was trying to be disparaging about doing it. I just thought I was missing something. So you made me and Brad sad. Sorry. I am sorry if I made you sad. All right. You're forgiven. Thank you. Um, the other thing is, and this is an important thing. I have problems. Okay. I got worms. I got worms. That's from Dumb and Dumber. That's what um, we're going to call it. The problems I have is I took, uh, my daughters to a restaurant yesterday. Oh, I don't, do I know this story? The restaurant's called Shake Shack. Shake Shack, yes. So I've been hearing about Shake Shack forever, and I know every most people know what it is and have been to one of these, but I've never been there before, and I kind of think of myself as kind of a greasy food connoisseur. And I've never been there before, and I went there because it's in Oak Brook, which is like, whatever, 10 minutes from our house. The reason I avoided it was because I thought my daughter said that there was no veggie burgers. right. So uh, yesterday I got on the website and they have a mushroom burger, but there's no burger. There's no red meat. It's just mushroom. And oh my gosh. So what do you mean it's just mushroom? Like it's a patty? It's like a portobello mushroom, but it's not like, you know, at Portillo's they have the big thick one. Yeah, I don't like that. You are going to love this because it's... It's thin. It doesn't have like the texture that you don't like with. It doesn't port- have the stem. And it's not like an overwhelming huge portobello either. It's pretty small, but they infuse cheese inside the mushroom itself. Yikes! And I think it's absolutely wonderful. The fries are off the hook, and the shakes are pretty amazing. And I I I don't eat burgers anymore, but I'm guessing if I did, I would be raving about how good. What did Skyler get? Uh, she got the chicken nuggets. Oh, okay. So they have chicken for kids. And JC got the chicken sandwich and Cameron got the hamburger. And, What'd Cameron think of the hamburger? Uh, she loved it, but she said the Portillo's fries were better than the... Uh, Shake Shack. She said Portillo's is better. So I say that to you all, um, not to like inflate your expectations of walking into the restaurant because it's still just a burger and fries, but it's pretty darn good. Hmm. Yeah, I well, I'll go try it. JC's been there a few times. Like she said, it was really good. And it's not really like Portillo's. It's it's more like you sit down and order, right? Well, you order, then you go to, then you sit down. Oh. 
and then they give you a buzzer and you walk up to oh. the big window to so pick up the food. It's a, like Culver's or Portillo's. Yeah, but Culver's, they bring the food to you. Yeah. Um, so this is a little bit different, but it's really good. And I'm nervous. What, oh. are, you, what are you nervous about? Because I might go there a lot more than it's I ought to. It's too far. You're not going to go there that much. It's <sighs> it's all the way over by the mall. It's not going to be your... I don't know, man. How often do you have fries during the week? Like zero. Um, I know, but these are really good. So anyways. Okay. Well, I want to go next weekend then. How about today? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't want to go today. Um, okay. So John Gottman, you know who he is? He's an American psych- psychological... Yeah, psychological researcher, and he co- co-founded something called the Gottman Institute. Yes. And we talk about Dax Shepard all the time on our podcast. Not all the time, but quite often. We're big fans of the podcast. And he interviewed this guy named John Gottman. And we've talked about his work on the show before, have we not? Yeah, oh, not only do we talk about his show or his uh, work on the show, um, but I teach every semester um, in both of my classes, Sociology of the Family and an Intro to Social Work, I have like a whole Gottman week because his research is really profound. And the research that his research created is really profound. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say probably the most commented on or the most widely distributed research that um, you know he has is the the horsemen of the apocalypse, the four horsemen, which um, is part of what he talks about on the show. But it really what they what he found in his research is that he and his partner, the people who he was doing research with, they could predict with ninety percent accuracy what couples were going to make it and what couples were going to divorce by observing them for an hour. For an hour, and he said that. They could that they ha- I think he says it on the show that they were able to say 15 minutes yeah, and like, it became 85 percent. Yeah, accuracy. like if they watch them for an hour, it's like 90 uh-huh. percent accurate whether or not they're going to get a divorce. I uh-huh. think. Yeah. And if they watch them for only 15 minutes, it was like 85. It's like an 88 or 85 percent. And what's good about his research is that you know some you kind of have to be careful with research because sometimes studies are yeah. either they haven't been um, what's the word they peer reviewed yeah. Peer reviewed is part of it and like redone. What's that word I'm looking for? Replicated. Replicated. And part of it is they just don't have a huge group of people. Like yeah. it's just, you know, they, they're like, oh, on this 13 people, here's yeah. what we found. And what he's been, not only has his work been replicated, but the studies he's done have been on a tremendous amount of people. Yeah. So, and it's been, um, Oh, you know what? That was a different study. He was it was international, some of the studies he talked about. So it wasn't just for our country right. either. It's there's some international um signs of either health or non health in a marriage. Signs, signs everywhere the signs. Who sings that, sweetie? Tesla. Actually, I think they redid it. But well, so that... we're gonna play some clips. Uh, bottom line is this it's a long interview, two hours. Uh, but if you like what we're sharing on this podcast, go over to Dax's podcast and listen to the whole thing because it's that good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it takes a while. To me, it took a while to kind of rev up because I kind of felt like once he got to about an hour 15. Me too. Then it was like so much information. Me too. I feel like the beginning was a lot of like back and forth, you know, let's get to know each other. Yeah. Um, you know, and a lot of... Dax didn't have all the research right, you yes. know, and then once they got to about an hour 15, it was so just hang with it so a little full. bit, is yeah. what you're saying. So, the first uh, clip I want to play is about labeling kids. You ready? Sure. Yeah. Abnormal. So, yeah. what's going on? How can I help? Yeah. I, by the way, I've now extended that to my children, which is 
it's very tempting to say, oh, that kid's messy or that kid's this. And I'll, I'll, I'll remind myself all the time out loud. No, she's nothing yet. (laughs) She's just (laughs) acting this way today. You know, uh, in, in studying parent child interaction, we, uh, came up with a thing that we call the, the parental agenda, which is that, you know, we all worry about certain things about our, about our kids. You know, like one kid takes too many risks, another kid is not brave enough, you know, and sort of hangs back. Another kid is not generous enough or not empathetic enough. Another one's too empathetic and gullible, right? So it's natural for parents to worry about their kids and have a checklist of what they want you know, their kids to be like. But you're right, when you label a kid as being a certain way, then it's hard for them to dig out. Yeah. Be different. Yeah. Well, you get all this this confirmation bias loop where it's like you're expecting something from them to confirm what you've labeled them, and then they live up to it in a weird way, right? That's right. That's right. And that's the sad thing. When When they hear the label, the tragedy is that they will believe it. Yeah. My dad is telling me I'm lazy. Mm-hmm. So I must be that kind of person. Yeah. So what does a person like that do? And then I'll become that kind of person. Boom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of this, these things are things that we've talked about on the show, but it's nice to hear the research behind it. Always. Like this is not what we think is best or the way we connect with kids, but it's how the research says it. You know, sometimes I realize that lack of self-awareness is kind of just like living your life unfiltered Mm -hmm. where you, I think part of self-awareness is filtering what you say and do. Yeah. And I don't mean restricting yourself or trying to accommodate the norms of society. That's not what I mean. What I mean is can we notice maybe that we have fears in our head about our kid or that we're kind of concerned about something for the moment, but then not make it their problem? Yeah. Meaning, can we realize like, you know, like Dex said, he's like, you know, yeah, she's being messy, but she's really only six. Yeah. So isn't that kind of, do I call her messy or do I just recognize right in this moment at this age, she's being messy in this moment? Yeah. You know, like, we, I think self-awareness is the ability to notice our fears and our judgments, um, but not always vocalize them, especially projecting them on our children as some kind of reality that isn't, you know, like it, that's the thing is that when people say, oh, you don't worry about your kids at all and you don't have, you don't worry. Of course I do. But what I'm thoughtful about is what will help them grow the most and my judgments and my fears actually is going to make their life more difficult right. and it's going to pigeonhole them or it will label them where they think there's something when really that was just my fears being projected on them. So, and it's all right if you kind of have these things in your internal sure. dialogue, because I think that's kind of what being a human being is sure. all about. But to your point, if you can have enough awareness to recognize this dialogue and not say it out loud right. to your kids you're doing yourself and your kids a pretty big favor. And again, not, you know, when people hear that, like, oh, I'm just going to hold back. I don't, I, what I mean is notice what a fear and a judgment is because yeah. judgments are normal. Our brain makes judgments all the time. So when people say, oh, I don't judge anybody, of course you do, because that's what brains do. The question is, is do you believe the judgment? Hmm. Do you think that because your brain just made a judgment that it's true for not only that person, but anyone who looks like that person and anyone who talks like that person, do you, do you then start to make judgments your reality? Because then that's because that becomes prejudice, yeah. right? So judgment comes up, but what do you do with the judgment? That's the question. It's not about 
people are some parents or people are superhuman and they never have judgments. We all do. But if my daughter's room is messy when she's 12 years old or 13 years old, me calling her a messy, disgusting person is not helpful. That is not something that in like it invites her to go deeper. It's a disconnection. That's a disconnection in our relationship, and it also becomes a label. And as they were saying, um, he said a, a, a bias, or he said a uh, confirmation confirmation bias. bias loop, and I would say a self fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, you know, it becomes what they believe about themselves. I feel like everything we do as parents, and maybe tell me if you think I'm wrong is either a vehicle of connection or disconnection. Are there anything, yeah. are there any neutral things that we do that are not, because I know obviously you can go down way low on the disconnection, like, you know, hit your kid. Right. That's a, that's a pretty significant disconnection. Whereas kind of a passive aggressive offhanded comment that you don't really mean is probably not as bad, but it's still, it's still disconnection. disconnection. And then the opposite is obviously true with the, when you're connecting with your kids. Uh, I feel like most things that we do is either, I don't know. Good and bad is a, is probably not the terminology I'm looking for. No, but. because we don't always know. Yeah. Like I have had my girls come to me later because I, I use humor a lot, um, which they're used to and they're really funny girls and you're funny. So it kind of all lands pretty well. But there has been sometimes when I've used humor and they've come back to me and been like, do you really feel that way? Or do you really think that? And I'll be like, wait, go back and tell me what you know, you're talking about. And then they'll tell me something I said that was that I thought was funny. Mm-hmm. And I'll realize that it didn't land well with them again you know intention versus impact and and then i'm able to say oh absolutely i i was trying to like make light of it and i don't think that at all you know deep down and i know you're trying hard and or whatever it may be yeah um and so my point is is that if your children don't come back to you and maybe and i'm sure there's been times when they have when they've maybe been offended by something you know, and they haven't come back to us sure. and they've carried it. So I guess my point is, is, is it, there's connection and disconnection, but we don't always know. Well, and our kids are always, not always, our kids are going to carry some of the stuff that we either intentionally or unintentionally right. gave to them. I just hope, our hope is whatever it is that they're carrying, they're not really big, huge things. Right. And, and such is life. Yeah. Like we walk through, I'm reading a really good book about this right now. We walk through life and everybody you know, views us through their own lens. And even if we're doing everything perfectly in an alignment from our place in the universe, someone is going to see it through a different lens. Like it's not about, I don't love it when people say, well, if you're doing good work, you're going to disappoint everybody. We were just talking about that this morning about how on Team Zen we were, um, you shared your experience about going to school. We talked about this on last week's podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then another listener came in with kind of the opposite story yeah. and how they both could be true. Right. And that you, you know, and it doesn't make either person wrong and it doesn't make either person right. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like, oh, well, truthfully, percentage wise, this story is more valuable because there's so many pieces of it. And, you know, there's that story. And then there's just, you know, there's just simple things like you're walking down the street and you smile at someone. One person who has been traumatized in some way, shape or form by someone who may look like you thinks that you're trying to do something negative toward them, where another person who has no experience with someone who looks like you just is like, that's a nice smile. You can't, you can't, you don't know how you're going to impact everybody. So the, so when people say, well, then what do I do? Be your best authentic self, because that's the most alignment you can have in your life. Um, you ready for the second one? Now this is one about boys versus girls or boys and girls. And then we're going to get more into the relationship stuff. 
but this is uh, this is about 45 seconds, so it's a little bit shorter. It's for right. guys, right? Yeah, for guys, it's really uh, when an emotional event happens, you know, like a, a kid, you know, they're playing a run and chase game, and, it, you know, some kid starts crying, you know, they'll stop the game and say, what's the matter? I didn't get the ball. Okay, give him the ball. And, and, and they're done. Uh-huh. They don't talk about it right. like girls do. Right. And, you know, so the, the goal is keep the ball in play, keep the game going. Mm-hmm. Whereas for girls, it seems to be the relationship is really the important thing. Yeah. It's not that they're playing hopscotch or they're playing, you know, they're doing something else. It's that they're connecting the whole time. They're connecting the whole time. Yeah. So men don't really get a lot of practice in dealing with emotion. And then, of course, adolescence happens and you get intense lust. Sure. And then now you have to communicate with a female. You've got no choice. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you do for those men who, who, who their, their defense is stonewalling and they don't know how to? Breathe. Yeah. Pace breathing is very powerful. Meditation is powerful. Yeah. But just sort of awareness that, oh, boy. Here we go. What I love about the end of that clip is like, what do you do? It's like, more, more people I talk to... I always have the same answer. Mm-hmm. What do I do? Breathe. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so weird. Like, that, it always comes back to, because breathing is just a vehicle of self-awareness. So I just love the fact that every teacher in my life, whether he's a scientist or some, you know, sage about, you know, like Eckhart Tolle, it's always about breath. Absolutely. Um, but regarding, I, I really connected with what he said about the boys just want the game to keep going. So they'll do whatever they have to do to keep it going. Um, I, I just thought back in my childhood, that's exactly what we did. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that then all of a sudden you start puberty hits and you're having to connect with a different type of person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're generalizations, but I thought that that was interesting. Well, and I think it's very contradictory messages in our society because when we talk about these things in hindsight, we kind of think to ourselves, Um, You know, boys, if they could only learn more about themselves and each other and connect with each other differently, then then connection wouldn't be so difficult. And we kind of view it through the lens of connection is the most important thing, which is Mm -hmm. what we believe. Right. But the contradictory thing is when we're raising kids and we have boys who totally sidestep their emotions and keep the game going, we give them a lot of praise for doing it. Right. And so we. It's contradictory in that, in hindsight, we all know it's best to connect. But if someone gets hurt in football, we're like, play through, Mm -hmm. you know, get them off the field, like, keep going. You know, like, we don't, in the moment, we don't value our children having an experience with their emotions, even though we know in the long run that's the best. And I guess what I mean is, let's go to, let's take it off of sports. Um, you know, my son and his friends, you know, they get into an argument and they get over it right away or they barely argue and they get over it right away. Girls, they have to talk it through. And there's like a, so the disconnect is we know when we look at the big picture, when we're not talking about our own personal experiences, the connection is the most important thing. But in the moment with our kids, we devalue what the girls are doing and we value what boys are doing. The reason we value what boys are doing is because then we don't have to deal with it. Correct. And we, as parents are like, oh my gosh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. They just kept on playing because now I don't have to feel all So that. when they keep on playing, there is something that they're pushing down. Correct. And I, I think, and this is a generalization that people might say, get mad at me for, but I think girls, generally speaking, are healthier than boys because of that exact thing. Give me the drama. Now, the drama sucks in the moment as a parent, but they're ex- it's expression. And as human beings, I think we need to express 
how it is that we're feeling. And as a boy, by the way, did you see that um, uh, public service YouTube thing I just shared? Mm-mm. On uh, It's called Boys Don't Cry. It's about three minutes long. Mm-hmm. It's haunting. In what way? It's just it, a lot of what we're talking about, unhealthy masculinity and how it, you know, they, they take a boy from childhood and then, mm. you know, the, the mom says, you know, boys don't cry. And it's not like, it's kind of good because it's realistic. It's not like the mom is like screaming at the young boy saying, boys don't cry. She's like in a tender way. In a saying, loving way. Boys don't do this. And then fast forward and like the last part of the video is haunting because, you know, the same kid is now a teenager and he's at a fraternity party and the girl's drunk and you, you know, you see him walk upstairs and then he puts her on the bed and then he closes the door behind and mm. it's just haunting. Mm, horrible. Because I've seen some of the videos where you see the boy do the right thing mm-hmm. and like put a blanket on her and then mm-hmm. call her a cab or do whatever it is that you're supposed to do at that time. And it's, it's a scary, scary video. Well, and yeah, the, the, th- okay. Yeah. I, I was going to go down a totally different path, but you're going to get there next with his research. Like, I don't want to jump ahead in John Gottman's research. Why don't you start there? Just because I may not get to it with the clips, and I want to make sure you get your take. Well, let me just say this, okay. and this will, won't ruin anything. So if you get the wide view, which is connection, research has demonstrated that connection is the most important thing for human beings. It, it's what sustains their sense of purpose. It's why we're here. Like literally, we now we now understand through research that we have mirror neurons, mm-hmm. which means that we experience what other people are experiencing, which creates our compassion and then elicits our, our uh, empathy. And why that tells us we're here to connect is that we were hardwired to connect with others because we can't survive alone. Right. So there's these biological pieces and then there's these social pieces, which is I literally, if I think I'm like, like for example, you know, Zen parenting, if I'm like, oh, I created this business, I did this, I did this, I did this. Yep. What about everybody who's listening? What about the podcast app? What I mean, and obviously you guys know Todd, you know, like it's not, what if, what if it's, you know, talking about Brad or Jessica or Aaron or Sean, like all these people who have helped us and for me to be like, this is mine. Like mm-hmm. we don't do anything alone. Right. Like everybody is involved. We're that's our species. Part of a system. It's part of a system. That's what we're meant to be. Like even you know, like in, in our expectation is such. Yeah. You know, I call the police. The police should come. Yeah. You know, when I go to the library, it should be open, and I should be able to get a book. We believe this, yet so many of us walk around saying, "Oh, I do things by myself," and you don't. Entitled. Entitled. Yeah. And so, and and why I'm saying all this is, we know from a big picture, biologically, socially, emotionally, the connection is everything. Yet, in a moment, we often don't parent that way. We parent from disconnection and fear, and so it's like there's a. Um, there's a little bit of a missing link. Yeah. And as we're going to get into here, it has also research has demonstrated that people who are connected live, live longer. longer. Yeah. So this is bigger. And live better. Exactly. Healthier. So it's it's not something it's like, doesn't it feel good? Do that. It's bigger than that. It's if you want to have a good third act in your life. Yes. And when I say third act, call it. 65 to 95 I was going to say, we're old. not in our third act, are we, honey? No, no, no. As we sit here with our glasses? Well, I think we're in the middle of our second act. Good. I, lo- I need more acts. <laughs> no, we get, we get three acts. Only If three? we're lucky. What if I want four? No, no. Because then I saw a billboard. I think I shared this. I saw a billboard by O'Hare a few months ago, and because of medical advancement and all that, they said... 
there's a person alive right now that will live until they're 150. What if it's you? No, it's probably somebody that was just born because oh. we'll continue to advance uh, medically to be able to keep the aging process from going so quickly. So, sweetie, do you know what a boogie wipe is? I just told you. A saline nose wipe. That's right. Saline, and you know what it does? What? It knocks out boogies. You got boogies? Well, I I got boogies. We all do. We all got boogies. Um, Kids got boogies, too. I know. Sometimes they eat them. Yuck. That's what they do. So then that's why we need these. Um, But it gets, like, crusty on their face and their nose and stuff. Yeah. So Boogie Wipes uh, has a natural saline formula, and it knocks out those hard, crusty ones. Good. I don't have the hard, crusty ones, but I'll bet you our kids did you when they were little. You do sometimes. Well, I mean, maybe in my nose, but somehow kids manage to get them on their face. And, you know, kids don't care, so we kind of have to care for them. <laughs> we have to carry around the boogie wipes. Isn't that because... what parenting is? Yes. It's made by moms for moms, and you know what it contains? What? Aloe, chamomile, and vitamin E, which all sounds like pretty good stuff. Yes. Um, so avoid raw red nose that you get from dry, regular tissues. I actually... Do not like red nose when I have a cold. I know you don't. Um, And you know what else? What? It's not your average wipe. Oh, that's totally our humor. Yes, it is. We always say it's not funny when your nose is runny. You may think it's funny when your nose is runny, but it's not. Oh, that's it. That's it. (laughs) Um, So the kids won't run away from you like they do with regular tissues, and it comes in three scents. Can you guess which one my favorite is? Fresh scent, unscented, and grape. Grape. That's a no-brainer. I know you love grape. You what and, kid? What what kid in their good mind would not want grape? You and Skyler can use grape. You would probably get unscented. I would definitely get unscented. Don't give me any scent. That's a problem. You have problems. <laughs> um, so here's the deal. So they are partnering up with us, and uh, click on the link in the show notes, or go to boogiewipes.com/zenparenting. If you put in Zen as the coupon code, you'll get five dollars off free and free shipping. Five bucks off plus free shipping if you order twenty five bucks or more, or you can get them at the grocery store. Either way, boogie wipes. Boogie wipes. Yay, boogie wipes. All right. This is a short one, but a okay. good one. I call it uh, tools in the relationship toolbox. And here's what it was. You postpone persuasion until each person can state their partner's point of view to their partner's satisfaction. That's the rule. Uh-huh. So you don't get into persuading your partner that you're right and your partner's wrong or find the, solu- the ideal solution or compromise until you can state your partner's point of view to, to their her, satisfaction. her satisfaction. Stated, I mean, just right. imagine if people did that, you know, mm-hmm. everywhere on the planet. It's it's very powerful. There we go. You know who would lose out in that situation? Who? The contrarian. Because all the contrarian does is point out how your points don't make any sense. And so that, I mean that with kind of a sense of like good. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times when you are talking with someone who is a contrarian, you start to tell them what you feel or think, and they will just point out why your points are not valid. Right. So then you'll say to them, well, what do you think? And they don't really have a perspective. They just want to point out how yours is wrong. Yeah. So what John Gottman is saying is you both need to understand each other's perspectives. Well, this is, you know, I'm sure Jesus talked about this and Buddha talked about this and Stephen Covey talked about it. One of the habits is seek first to understand, then to be understood. Now, Gottman, what he just said was take it the next step, not just understand, but... Recite it back. Recite it back. That's what therapists do all the time. And... um, it's such a simple thing that so few of us do. Why is it so hard to do that? Because we want to win. 
When someone, you know, this is the thing is like you and I are talking about this with no emotion attached to it. When I am telling you something and you've already decided that whatever I'm about to say is frivolous, like let's talk about, we were just doing a Team Zen video before we got on. You, and even though we joke about it, there's no emotion tied to it really anymore about going to the airport. Yeah. If I were to give you all the reasons why I think going to the airport early is important, you start to go into a stance of rolling your eyes Mm. and this is ridiculous. You've already decided. Yeah. I'm not listening. No. I've already removed myself. You're already like, I'm so sure I'm right Mm. that whatever you have to have to say means nothing to me. And the thing is, is from that mindset, you're right. Not only are you not hearing me, but your mind is literally closed to me. Right. And so think about how often in a relationship we do that with our partner and we do that with our children. And part of that is because we are holding on to our beliefs so tight because if they start to get cracked, then we have to look at a lot of things. And this is why we love certainty. Because if I just keep everything certain and tight and like, this is my belief system and I never stray from it, then I don't have to look at anything. Mm -hmm. I don't have to consider what I'm saying. I don't have to consider how I'm hurting people um, because I'm right. And that, and as soon as you start to listen to other people and have a curiosity, everything kind of, certainty doesn't stay. Right. And for many, that's too uncomfortable. And what I know for sure is everything's uncertain. I think that's something I say to my children, and I don't always use that word, but I'll say things like, you're never going to know. The minute you think you're certain about anything, Mm -hmm. even about like one plus one equals two, well, I'll challenge that certainty. If you take a piece of gum and I and I chew it and then I put a second piece of gum and I chew it, um, one plus one does not equal two. One plus one equals one. Like mm-hmm. such a kind of simple or arithmetic example. But anytime we think we're right about anything, odds are something is probably going to go sideways. Well, certainty is a product of fear. And it is, I'm going to protect myself through this certainty. Um, Like, for example, you know, a lot of the research has uh, focused on religion in the last, like, especially since 9-11, in how certain we become in our beliefs, because that is what protects us from any kind of fear. We feel like not only am I right, but I'm going to tell you why I'm right and not even listen to what you have to say and make my model the only model and the only way because then I am fine. I had that example that I already told you this and hopefully won't get into trouble here, but um, I was at a luncheon and there's a man who was kind of the leader of this luncheon and he said, okay, let's bow our heads in prayer. And I said, okay. Um, I can do prayer. I can do yeah, prayer. I like prayer. So we all bowed our heads and he gave a very Roman Catholic prayer. And um, I said, okay, this is good. And the, But then he started talking about how Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And he kept going and going and going. And I'm just like, wow, it's just kind of presumptuous that everybody in this group, and there's about 60 people. Wow of whom we were all, some of us knew each other, but there's two different sets of people coming together. So he didn't know who half the people were in that room. Wow. So anyways, I'm, and I don't know. I just Well, it made you aware. It made me aware. You know, your judgments probably sprang to mind, but don't, let's not do to him what you're saying he maybe did to others, which is not acknowledging that he, he, and he, has a right to those belief systems. That's part of, you know, freedom of religion. We mm-hmm. get to choose. But the assumption 
that everybody believes the same way we do or that we are so certain mm-hmm. that everybody needs to do what we're doing. Right. That's where we're starting to not recognize everyone else's humanity right. and recognize that there is um, lots of different language. Sometimes, you know, and here's the thing is I've pulled the, uh, the lens back far enough to realize that we're all saying the exact same thing. Right. We're just using different words. And, um, and that's the thing too, is when we get too microscopic about it yeah, and we narrowly focus, yeah, and we start like debating these really fine points and then you pull back and it's like, kind of like the reason that you were fine with prayer is regardless of what you call yourself, you, you feel connected to the universe as a whole. Sure. That's probably the most universal language we can use. And so prayer is just kind of love into the world, right? Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, I can do this. Yeah. Um, but then when it starts to say, this is what you're praying for, this is why you're praying, right. then it's like, wait a second. Now I don't have a... Give me a little space Yeah, give here. me some space to create that for myself. Yeah. And that's really all we do for each other. Yeah. Um, and if someone says to you please tell me about, you know, like if you're in relationship or you're learning and someone says, tell me about your beliefs, tell me if it'd be religious or otherwise, then the door is open right. for you to say, here's what I believe. But sometimes that door, nobody's knocking. Yeah, there's no door there. It was everybody bow their heads, everybody believe what it is that I'm about yeah, to say. That's tough. That's Anyways. that that can be Are tough. Are you ready for the next clip? Yeah, go ahead. Um, and this one is a little bit longer, but I think it's important. It's about sex and relationship. And I... My notes were, guys, listen up. Okay? (laughs) So here we go. Large group of couples. um, Do you agree with this statement that for men, sex is a way to get intimate and close, whereas women only want sex when they already feel intimate and close? And 97% of the couples, of the people, you know, agreed Uh with that statement that that was true as a gender difference. And so I that's a great know, way to articulate it. I, yeah. you know, I think it really is true. Now, here are some other facts. What percentage of the time in a marriage when a guy, you know, really asks for sex, what, what percentage of the time does, does the, the women say yes? What would you guess? I'm very nervous. I'm going to I'm going to say only half the time. Seventy five percent. They say yes. Yes. Oh, that's encouraging. Right. Yeah. Now. Here's another key thing. The response to no is really critical. So a man's response to no, I'm not in the mood, I don't want sex, is critical to determine how much sex they'll have. If his response is punishing in any way, Uh they'll stop having sex. Mm -hmm. But if he says, well, thank you for telling me that you're not in the mood, you know, what are you in the mood for? Yeah. Want to take a walk? You want to... Make some popcorn, watch a movie. You know, uh-huh. It doesn't end. No, doesn't end connection. Uh- oh my gosh! I know that was one of my favorite parts right? of the whole thing. Now, the most important part, everybody, is that last part. If a woman says no, if a partner says no, I, I guess I don't want to be too gender specific because sometimes it could be the woman asking. If a partner says no, and you retaliate or decide they don't love you mm-hmm. or they or they have completely you know that's the only way that you can feel good about yourself in that moment and then you punish them then the passive like, or aggressive yeah passive o- openly or yeah like you said passive aggressive then the likelihood of you having sex later is going to be much lower because you have then made the partner feel unsafe which is the only way 
I have to do what this person says or I will be punished. If you instead say, really why I'm coming to you for sex is that I want to connect. So if sex is not going to be the way, how can we, can I be by you? Can I, you know what Tad did last night? I hope I'm, this is okay. You're going to talk about sex? No. I know, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I wouldn't do that. Um, There are some things we keep off the podcast, right? But Todd, I told Todd, my, my, he was gone for like a week and, um, you know, I had had some headaches and I was just tired and, you know, it was just, and he said, do you want me to rub your shoulders? And I said, actually, will you comb my hair? And Todd combed my hair. Yeah. And it was really nice. It's really easy too. It's not like, sometimes I give you back rubs in my hands and my, they cramp up a little bit. Yeah. Hair combing is a very kind of fluid, easy process. Yeah. So yeah, if you want me to keep doing that, just let me know because we sit there watching Saturday Night Live. It really is not that big of a deal. And so, you know, that's connection. And that is, and again, I know men are saying, well, that's not what I'm really, you know, they're looking for a certain outcome. I get it. But what, are you going to play the clip where he he says that sex is everything? Um, I don't know. I think I skipped over that one. Well, then I will state this. And again, I hope you all go listen to this podcast because we're just giving you like clips of this. Um, but they're talking about, you know, Dax is kind of giving his perspective and Dr. Gottman says, well, sex is everything. And Dax says, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, everything that we do during the day is that that's what decides whether or not sex is going to be a part of our relationship. And here's the thing. Not just a part of our relationship, but a connective part of our relationship. Yeah. Like I was watching uh, Bridesmaids yesterday again for the 80,000th time. And my favorite scene in that movie is when they're on the plane. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the funniest scene in that movie. But there's all sorts of things happening on the plane. And one of the things happening is two of the women are having a conversation Um you know, having drinks, having a conversation about their sex life. And one woman is saying that basically she and her husband never have sex because they have to like shower and be in the dark and be undercovers. And she's like, by the time we get there, he's too tired. Mm -hmm. And she's like, and I say I'm tired, but I'm not tired. And then the other woman says, you know, she's like, is that kind of, you're not having sex either? And she goes, no, no, I'm having sex all the time. And she goes, but I thought you said, and she's like, no, he hasn't kissed me for five years. But we're having like, but that's, she's not like, that's not sex for her. That is a man doing what he needs to do. Do you know what I mean? Like this is, that's not connection. It's one, it's, it's, it's energy is only coming one One way. way. And she, and the other girl, Ellie Kemper says to her, well, what are you doing? She's like, I'm watching the daily show. I mean, and again, it's humor. We can laugh at it. But the reason we're laughing at it is because there's some truth in it, which is that I, Todd's language is the best for a you know PG-13 podcast that we have here, which is energy is only flowing one way. Mm-hmm. And there is a belief that that is a sex life. Yep. When what John Gottman is talking about is sex life is your whole life, meaning that how do we connect? He, you know, he gets into this book that he's written, but he talks about how they did all this research. And this was the big longitudinal study um, uh, where they researched people all over the the world and found out what makes relationships um, thrive and why do certain couples have good sex lives. Mm-hmm. And it was things that had nothing to do with sex. They hold hands. Yeah. Actually, I have that clip pulled you up. You do? Okay, yeah. so I don't want to get any further into it. Before I do that, I want to make you laugh, sweetie. So this is the part <laughs> of the airplane scene from Bridesmaids. And I feel relaxed, and I'm ready <laughs> to party with 
best of them and I'm gonna go down to the river. <laughs> wow, it looks like somebody's really relaxing now. Yeah, wow. What are you guys talking about up here? We're, um, We're going to a restaurant tonight. I know the owner, yeah. so it's just you coming. Do? Oh, Helen is the Okay, so a lot of it's video. You got to be seeing it. I know, to... but you know, JC and I always do the down to Bye. the river. <laughs> um, so oh, man, be before movie. I play my next clip, I want to talk about our second partner of the week, and that's ImpactBaselineTesting.com, sweetie. You know the five myths. You've taken the quiz on the five oh, myths. Oh, I'm very well versed in the five myths. Oh, are you? Do you know what they are? Yeah. What are they? Dark room. One. Um, sleep. Going to sleep. Is, are you supposed to sleep or not? Uh, you can sleep. Uh, you should, yes. You, you can sleep. And then why do people get the most concussions? Because they they fall. Falling is the main one, Falling. not from sports. Yep. Uh, do you always lose consciousness? No. Correct. And then you don't, all, you don't have to rest in a dark room. No. And then how long does it usually take to recover from a concussion? Uh, so, sometimes less than three months. Uh, actually, usually less than three weeks. Oh, yes, yes, yes. less than three the weeks. Myth, I knew there was a three. The myth is it takes months to recover from a concussion. Right. That's not true. Uh, JC um, did her baseline, baseline testing. again. Yeah. Uh, so, so what this uh, company does is that measures brain function when you're in a healthy state. So you take it, the test online. Can't say enough good things about it. It's one of those things that you, uh, if, God forbid, you do fall down the stairs or you do maybe get concussed, you really want to make sure that you have your baseline. So go to BaselineTesting.com and uh, you can put in the coupon code ZEN25 and it'll take it down from 20 bucks down to 15 or yeah, 20 down to 15. So uh, that's the deal. Thank you, BaselineTesting.com. And they are a sponsor of the po of the conference. So you'll get some information from them in the swag bags. And follow them on Twitter. They're yeah. good at tweeting about our show. Yeah. It's very much appreciated, Baseline. That's right. Okay, here we go. So this next one. Wait, I didn't call them by the right name. Impact. Impact Baseline Testing. Impact Baseline Testing, yes. Thank, thank you, you for clarifying. Yes. Um, and then this is about sex, too. Here we go. But, and there's good reason that women have more requirements. And, and that has to do with a woman's relationship with fear. Ooh, tell me more about that. The world is so much more dangerous place for women than it is for men. Uh-huh. I mean, really life-threateningly dangerous. Sure. You know, it's the kind of thing where, um, you know, a woman walking across a parking lot at night to go to a class... Mm -hmm. You know, she locks the car and she just has to walk to the class. A guy doing the same thing, you know, would think, well, you know, I'm going to the class. A woman would really be thinking, I could get raped and killed yeah. on the way. Monica talks about this all the time. She puts her keys in her knuckles in case she's got to, like, uh, puncture someone's eye out. And all, yeah. all my, everyone I know does, all That's the right. girls, yeah. Mm -hmm. So 40% of women in their lifetime will have a physical encounter with, with the perpetrator. That's life-threatening, 40% mm -hmm. of women. That's crazy. The equivalent is 7% for men. Mm. So I know you'll have a take on this. We've been talking about this for years, mm -hmm. um, but I'm always still so surprised by how many men that I say something like this to are shocked. Mm -hmm. So the reason I played it again is just to continue to 
reach out to more guys that are listening to this podcast so they can bring this message along to the other guys that they know that they talk to at the bar or in the boardroom or wherever you're talking to other guys. And because unless we have that degree of understanding... Then you call women liars. Right. Yeah, for sure. Like, unless you understand the statistics and unless you understand that the statistics are not current because they are they are not absolutely correct because majority of women do not report. Correct. Um, police are often not brought into the mix, which means they're not part of the research. So that's actually a very low statistic. What I think Dr. Gottman is trying to say... And which, you know, anybody who works in this field is trying to say is women live with a sense of fear around their body um, it, that I don't think men could ever understand. And not and it's not I'm not trying to play like a, the role of you'll never get me. I'm just trying to say my life experience has been so drastically different than yours that the best thing you could do is just understand it rather than talk to me about it, about why I shouldn't be afraid or why it should be different with you or why things didn't really happen the way I thought they did. Like there are things I have known since I was very little, too little Mm. to really be thinking about these things um, that I understood about being a girl that I don't think boys or men ever have to consider. Now, Dax goes on to say after that, well, you know, and, and I and at first I was annoyed that he brought this up, but I think his point was valid. And he said, now, let me just say that also boys, when they're being raised, 50 percent of them are hit by their father or mm. by a man. And I think his point is, is that men are being abused, too, maybe in different ways. And at first I'm like, OK, we're trying to compare. But then then Dax says something very profound. And he said, the men are hurting all of us. Mm-hmm. A man is saying men are hurting yeah, it's all still of us. A dude. <laughs> men are hitting the boys. Men are hitting the girls. And so can men then see that when we use language, and I know people don't like this anymore, but toxic masculinity, we're not talking about men overall. We're talking about a kind of indoctrination that men are sometimes confronted with or dealing with either in their lives or in themselves yeah. that they haven't considered is hurting people. Yeah, You know, one of the most profound things that I have written everywhere, and again, this is part of my work in social work, but is do no harm. We're not going to do everything right. I'm not going to save people. Um, I'm not, I, I can't do everything perfectly with my kids. I, I don't expect our relationship to be perfect. But one of my goals is, is do no harm. And when people are harming people, do they consider why? Right. That's that's the that's the question. Right. Do they even look? Well, and um, I was in Louisville for a conference um, this last week, and I forgot something in the car, and it was kind of after my night was over. So it was like one in the morning, and I had to go in a parking garage and go get something out of the car. I didn't think twice about it. No, of course not. Would you have thought twice about one in the morning in the city of Louisville? I wouldn't have gone. Right. I would say, and these were things get confusing, where there have been times that I've asked you to do things for me, mm. and you you have, you're a really good friend to me, but I'm not doing, it's got nothing to do with laziness. Oh. Will you go knock on this person's door that I don't know? Yeah. Because that's not super safe for me. Yeah. And I have never, I don't always tell you the full story to why, or Todd, would you mind going with me to this? And it's not because I'm shy, or it's because I'm being thoughtful about my own safety. And, and it's not, you know, there's been things that, you know, you have been a curious friend to me, meaning sometimes you have made fun of things I've done. And when I've been able to explain to you why, you've been like, oh, I had no idea. Right. 
you know, like I had no idea why, you know, you didn't want to answer the door or why you didn't want to, you know, go there. We were talking about um, our friend John Duffy, who we love and who will be at the conference. He's actually getting like he's been on WGN a lot. Mm. And he's such a good guest, by the way. Like he, he's our most our most frequent guest on the, in our show. Hardest working man in parenting, as far as I'm concerned. He's the he best. has two podcasts, one with his wife and one one with Heidi Stevens yeah, called like, On Purpose. Yes. So. Like he's just out there. And one of the things he has done is he does sometimes does a WGN overnight show. Yeah. So he does that. And I said to Todd, I said, I could never do that. Mm. Like if I alone I couldn't drive into Chicago and do an over. Now, some women park in that little scary little area. Where right, because I used to do WGN yeah. all the time, and there's this parking lot. Now, when I say that, I'm not. I, I'm not. When I say I could never do that, of course I could, but it would take a lot more thought about how to get inside, how to be thoughtful about that. Yeah, I could just get out of my car and run. Mm -hmm. You know, there are ways. But my point is, is that when someone says to you or Duffy or anybody, hey, do you want to do an overnight thing in Chicago? It's 1 a.m. You're going to park in this parking lot. You guys don't think about that. I would be like, do I have the energy to manage what it's going to take? And these are sometimes so quick thoughts that we just say no to things. Yep. You know, like we're just like, nah, you know, that would be too much work. Well, what's the quote that we've said? Uh, men are scared of women laughing at us mm-hmm. and women are, are scared. So men are afraid that women will laugh at them. Women are afraid that men will kill them. Right. It's and, a Margaret Atwood quote. And I, th- can you just kind of open that up just a little bit? The, the first time I said that quote to you, it stunned you. Mm-hmm. Do you remember where we were in the office? No. So it was right when the... So, uh, Margaret Atwood wrote The Handmaid's Tale, just so everybody can kind of put this together. Um, so basically, again, taking the wide view, I think when what men are most afraid of is this sense of being perceived as weak or being perceived as um, not good enough. There is a sense of, um, you know, a woman laughing at them is the thing. Questions that, their masculinity. Exactly. Beautiful. Questions their masculinity. What a woman fears has more to do with Survival. life or death. Survival. Exactly. So one is a threat. This is it. I got it. Okay. One is a threat to your ability to breathe in and out and not die. Correct. The other is a threat to my ego. Correct. That's the difference. Right. You guys are worried about being able to be stay alive. Mm-hmm. And I am worried that my ego might get crushed. Correct. Those that's the inherent difference between those two statements. And when it's the water that you were that you swim in every day, even women have a hard time acknowledging it. Meaning if you've lived in it and you've breathed it every day, you it's sometimes hard to recognize. You're like, well, that's just what women do. And it's like, yeah, but men don't know that. So, you know, like as a woman, like Monica said, you know, we just get out of the car, put our, you know, our keys between our fingers. We don't think twice about it. We've been doing it since we were 15 or whatever it may be, 12, you know, or we have, we deal with men yelling at us or catcalling or when we're younger or making us feel uncomfortable or exposing themselves as people did on the bus to me all the time. Um, And we just, that's just our life. And so we often don't share that story. That's like in the Justin Baldoni, uh, his man show, um, the Me Too episode, there's a point where Tony Porter says, and women don't tell us these things. And Lewis Howe said, why don't they? Kind of like exasperated with us. And he's like, they would be telling us things all the time. time. That's the only thing you'd be talking about. And then Tony Porter says they are protecting us from ourselves. And they are protecting us from 
are fr- their friends. Yes. The, you know, it, it, as I've shared before, like there's stories that I still haven't told you because what's the point? Mm-hmm. Like if I was really in a, in a, you know, if something was exceptional, correct. But this is not exceptional. No, this is normal. These things, like things, happen, and we're, and that's what I mean by when you swim in it, you're like, that's just the way it is. But then when you take the wider view and you say, but they don't really under, you know, when we are thought of as being like, it's why the hearings that have occurred around women coming forward around sexual assault, it's why we get teary. Yeah, because. Basically, as a society, we have said people, women lie. Yep. And we have never really shared our story often. And so then it reconfirms that we shouldn't. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it, you know, we always go down this path. It gets so messy. I know. But the point he was trying to make is that he, he was, they were talking about sex again and they were saying that the reason women are more thoughtful about where and when, and it's not just all about the dishes. Mm. There is a sense of feeling safe. Mm-hmm. Am I safe with you emotionally? Right. And am, am I safe with you physically? I mean, remember the show I was watching two nights ago? Oh, the John Lorraine Bobbitt? Lorraine Bobbitt. Lorraine Bobbitt. So there's a documentary right now on Amazon about Lorraine, Lorraine Bobbitt and John Bobbitt. And if you guys don't remember, it was from 93 mm-hmm. and she cut his penis off. Yep. Um, and it was completely all over the headlines. We watched all of their trials on court TV. When I'm saying we, I mean as a nation. And the only reason it kind of went off court TV is because... OJ showed up. Yeah. Uh, was it OJ or was it the Menendez brothers? Oh, maybe it was Menendez. I don't know. There was something else that came that knocked it off the, yeah. you know, the radar. And But the, the documentary is not a... Uh, it's not trying to sensationalize the sensationalization. Mm -hmm. It's demonstrating the issues regarding women and men and abuse. And it has them, John Bobbitt and Lorena Bobbitt at this age. And John Bobbitt is still like, I didn't do anything. And she was, she has all these police reports of that. She was constantly abused, constantly beat up, like marital rape all the time. And he's still like, that's just. Why do we call it marital rape? Isn't it just rape? It is. But the reason that because laws had to be written that way, because originally laws were much more forgiving back then than they are now. Non-existent. If you were married, that's not rape. Oh, my gosh. So now what they said in the documentary and. Is it, they said what used to be able to justify or to prosecute marital rape is two things had to be in order. Number one, you had to be separated, which means that you so know. if you're not separated, it's not possible. And then the other, the second thing was you had to have physical, obvious physical wounds on your body to demonstrate that something had happened. So Sweetie, who do you think wrote those laws? Well, this is why representation is essential for women, for every race, for, you know, every uh, every gender, for every sexuality is that if you don't have people representing, then you literally don't understand. It's not about it's not about overpowering, it's empowering all of us. And so, anyway, so did you want to go on to the next one? Last one. Okay. And then uh, it's a little bit longer, it's 90 seconds. So if you want me to stop in the middle and we'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah, let's do that. All right. So just tell me when to give me one of these, sweetie. Okay. But you're concerned also about how couples make up. Right. It's very important, I think, to, you know, maintain friendship in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Very important to really feel like your partner is on your side. Mm-hmm. Your partner is your ally. Your partner is your best friend. 
and your partner respects you and values you and cherishes you. Mm -hmm. And maintaining friendship and intimacy is just as important as dealing with conflict. Yeah, you know, we read something uh, very helpful not too long ago that kids always witness their parents fight, mm -hmm. but generally the makeup's behind closed doors. And so they don't ever gather the tools to make up because you hide that from them. And uh, we're not great at it, but we do occasionally force ourselves to make up in front of the kids, which is awkward for everyone, but f it, there we do it, you know? Well, there's good research that supports that. A guy named Mark Cummings at Notre Dame has found that when your kids are young, you need to make up physically. If they've, if they've witnessed a fight, mm -hmm. you need to physically hug and kiss one another ah, for them to feel relaxed. Because it's so simple, yeah. Otherwise, their blood pressure stays high. Boom. So, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. There's the last part is huge. So, t say what you're gonna yes, say. Yes. So, just we'll yeah. say that part yeah. because this is something that I, 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 I was thinking to myself just about you and I. <clears throat> we don't really have like fights where we're saying mean things to each other, but we definitely, you know, Todd and I share a business, we share a home, we share a life. We definitely disagree at times. So in front we of the see girls. eye to eye on everything. Oh, everything's perfect. But we, I have no problem bringing these things up in front of the girls. And same with you. Like we have discussions or we'll say to them, sometimes they'll come in to talk and we'll be like, wait a second, we're having a big conversation. You know, you can stay but we're not dealing with giving you a ride quite yet. You know yeah. what I mean? So our girls see us do that quite a, quite a lot. And I had to think about it. And like, I guess when they're talking about making up, they're talking about when they like walk away from each other or they really yell at each other because I'm like, do we, do we ever go, okay, girls, like we never, I guess we just continue on. I don't on. think ours gets to a volume yeah. that requires, like, it's funny sometimes they don't say this much anymore. They'd be like, oh, I didn't know you and, Ma, you and mom were fighting. I'm like, oh, kid, if you only knew what a fight really was. Like, oh, our children? Our children mm -hmm. say to us, like, oh, I heard you guys, you and mom fighting in the kitchen. It's you and I just having a serious conversation where we're disagreeing. We're disagreeing with each other. There's no volume. There's no bad words being thrown. And I have a history growing up where my parents did fight, a real fight. It was very volatile. Very, yeah. And the volume was much higher than what we have. But anyways. That's... So it's all relative to them. Yes, so they to, don't know. They don't know. And so when they say that, it's not us saying, no, no, no. It's us saying, we were disagreeing. Yeah. You know, but there is not, it, it, nothing, nothing of concern. But I guess the point that they're trying to make is that this is not just emotional, it's physiological. That children, when they're watching their, their parents fight, their blood pressure goes high. And what John Gottman says at the end is um, their blood pressure only goes down if they see their parents actually physically make up. That's this next part. And then there's one other thing that he says. At, okay, at go the ahead. End of it. Oh, interesting. Let me tell you one story. So you can measure a couple's marital happiness by asking them questions, or you can take a 24-hour urine sample of their children oh my and gosh. measure stress hormones in the urine. Oh, Is that nuts? It, it's unbelievable. I mean, and, and again, I believe him because his yeah. whole life is, is, but, you know, parents, like there's so many things that we talk about on the show and there's no parenting to do's on the show. Like say this and do this. The only thing that, that, you know, we try and talk about or focus on is connection and how we affect our kids, yep. not, you know, not how we dress or what we, you know, it, it's about our how we live our lives is how kids then 
live their life, Mm -hmm. you know, and it can be literally like, um, you know, they choose school because we chose school or they work hard because they watched us work hard. And it's also their stress hormones. If we come home constantly stressed, if we are arguing in front of them all the time, if we are constantly in a state of challenge, then that's the state they're in. Let's go back to biological mirror neurons. Mm -hmm. Your mirror neurons are firing so hard for the people around you. Like I, can I tell this story just because it kind of makes a point and I don't even know if it was very fair to do. So my daughter Cameron kept taking my brush. Yeah. Okay. And I struggle. She also takes my shampoo. It's something she and I talk about all the time. Like, how are we going to deal with this? (laughs) She doesn't put it back. So I know Cameron well enough to know that she thinks everything is alive. Like she like, you know, she has a big heart for things. Yes, she does. And so I put a note on the brush that said, Cameron, this is my home. Please don't take me out of my home. I want to be with my friends. <laughs> everything else in the drawer. It stopped. Right. Do you know what I mean? See, that's fa- that's um, genius. <laughs> Because you could have kept on going down the road. That's like parenting. Like, oh, my kid won't listen to me, yet we keep trying to connect with them or guide them in the exact same way over and over, which you try to do. Like, Cameron, don't take my brush anymore. Don't take my brush anymore. I would go in holding the brush. Then all of a sudden you write a Post-it note on the back of the brush (laughs) with a note as if the brush is talking. Yes. This is an inanimate object. Yes. And now all of a sudden this kid does not want that brush to be away from her friends. Exactly. Even though she's in eighth grade and knows that this brush doesn't she have friends. She knows. She, like, it's not like I'm tricking her or like she doesn't really understand. She just is a wide open heart and cares about how everybody is feeling. Yeah. So like why I said, like, I, you know... It, I don't know. I it, it worked. And last night we talked about it because you, when you were combing my hair, you got that brush. Yeah. And I said, Cameron, how about that note on the brush? Because I know that really affected me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of, we use humor too. Yes, yes. It, it wasn't like she knows the brush isn't alive. So it's kind of my humorous way of tapping into her her understanding. Right. But I guess my, my point is, is that those, we know what, if, we may not know our, exactly what affects our kids all the time, but the way we live affects them. And when we say, no, no, I'm taking them to their practice. They're going to school. My stress doesn't impact them. It does. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean if you're grieving, that's not okay. Or that if you go through a sadness or a challenge, that's not okay. That's called being human. And they watch you not only, you know, dip into those places, but they watch the resilience of coming out of it. That's called human nature. You know, I, there actually, there have been times when I've been sick or I've been down or depressed where I have felt guilty. But what I know is that now in hindsight, everything's hindsight, right? They have watched me come through and they have watched me talk about it and be open about it. And they know they're not that scared of those things. They're not afraid of sadness, you know? So I'm not talking about everyday living. I'm talking about chronic where there's like chronic struggle. So then our kids, they're, they're, you know, their stress hormones are always firing. Yeah. I remember, I think this came from Rob Bell when he spoke at our conference, but, um, he was telling a story about a parent saying, well, I really want to start teaching my kid this or that, or I forget how he put it, but basically his answer to the parent was it's too late. You are teaching your kids every day. Every single, you may not be teaching them good things, right. but you're teaching them. Right. Something's happening. 
Well, and this is what, let's go back to what John Gottman said about sex. Sex is everything. Connection is mm-hmm. everything. Like, we'll say, well, I just want to have good sex. What things should I buy or should I say? No, no. What you do every day. Well, and guys will be like, you know, there's so many different stupid perceptions that a lot of guys will think it has to do with. Like, they will go to, they'll they'll think that they have to read romantic books together, Then you know, for to increase foreplay the 10 minutes before they're about to have sex. 10 minutes. When, Just give me 10 minutes. When it's 24 hours, 24 hours a day. How do I feel when I'm around you? Yeah. How do I feel when we're struggling? How do I feel in your presence? Um, you know, do you, how do you, how do you treat me and talk to me? Because all of those things lend to whether or not that's going to be an important part of our relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, do you, are you proud of me in public? Meaning do you put your arm around me? Do you hold my hand? Do or are you trying to impress your friends more than worry about our relationship? You know, these are the questions. And so going back to connection with kids, like what Rob said, they're learning every moment. And let me say this for parents who are like, oh my gosh, I've had a tough year or a tough couple of years. And they're, they're always open to seeing new ways. Yeah. Like it doesn't mean it's over. Like some parents come to me and they say, I just started being more thoughtful and self-aware and my kid is 15. Good. Yeah. You know, there are some things that maybe haven't happened yet, but you can start that now. Well, and you know, I'm, I'm always thinking in terms of finance, people are like, oh, I, I, I should have been saving money since I was 22 and now I'm 44 and I don't have any money. Start now. Start now. Right. Like it's all, you know. School. When someone's like, oh, I didn't go get my master's degree. I should have. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wasted that time. Two years from now, you could be done. Yeah. So start today yeah. if that's what you want. Instead, it's safer to spiral into some shame instead of take action in the present moment. Well, one of our daughters right now who is doing a lot of tumbling, occasionally when, you know, we're driving home from there, she'll say, man, I should have started this younger or I should. And I said, actually, no, there's no reason. I mean, I understand why you're saying that because she sees kids her age doing a certain thing. It's not that I don't understand her feelings. It's that what I try and say to her after she's done kind of venting that is you started at the exact right time, which was when you wanted it. And now you're determined and you're focused and you could have started this young and hurt your ankle and you know like who knows but instead of saying it should have happened earlier i should have why not just take it from here right um is there anything on your cheat sheet that you wanted to share that we didn't get to um you know the only thing i'll say is that and we we didn't get to it it's too deep but one of the things they talk about is how the leading cause of divorce is money. Mm. Uh, and if you look at most research uh, around the 10 reasons that people get divorced, money is always at the top of the list. And what I always like to comment on to people when this comes up is even though money ends up being the word we use, it's not really about money. Money is the, the byproduct yeah. of other things. Or the thing we kind of put in the middle that we all rotate around. But how do we? it's easier to fight about money. Than- how do we communicate? How do we listen to each other? Are we curious about how we spend money? Have we dived in, have we dove, dove, d- dove into our own history about money? Like that's something, you know, Todd and I had to do, um, like a long time ago is I read Susie Orman's first book about how were you raised around money? Because that is basically then however you were raised, it becomes your belief system about what you should do. And Todd and I both had to kind of do a deep dive into, we were already married, I think at the time, but we had to be like, why do we treat money a certain way? Yeah. Um, 
and be thoughtful about it and also respect that sometimes when Todd is, um, I'm just going to use you for a second, when you're afraid regarding something with money, I know it's not about money. Mm. It's about a certainty or a- it always comes down to some core belief. I am not enough. I am not whatever. enough. We should have more. I should. And so instead of arguing with him about money- I, I just try and be like, listen, or say, well, what are some things we could do that would make that would ease your mind? You know what I think about when I th- when I find myself worrying about money. What? I know that the poorest person in this country is richer than most of the rest of the world's population. Correct. So when I'm worried about something stupid like paying for a daughter's wedding or paying for a daughter's college, like it's that'll just, be outdated by the time. It's just <laughs> it's just so dumb and that doesn't mean I don't still get triggered by it right. but when I ha- when I sit in my seat of awareness I'm like oh my god dude you're just this is just silly and then the the bigger picture is you I mean definitely me before you and I got married I was so broke all the time like I was living and was am I happier now than mm-hmm. I was then and we were pretty happy when we didn't you know when you hear all these stories about whether or not not even it's about money like a rock band who was just trying to make it big right. for the first time and they're on the road and they're on right. the bus, they reflect back on those moments and they were the best times of yes. their lives, but they didn't know it. They didn't know it. And now they're rich and they get on airplanes and they have bazillion fans and they're less happy. It doesn't mean anything to them. Right. Because we think that the end result is I'm going to have a lot of money and I'll be happy. Um, you know, this is the oldest story in the book. Yeah. Once I'm successful, once this deal is closed, once I'm given that check, I'll be happy. And the biggest letdown in life is when that doesn't happen. Yeah. And now some may say, but it would make life easier. Sure. It might erase uh, some debt. It might decrease some stress around certain areas, but it doesn't connect you more to people, which is why we're here. Yeah. It doesn't um, decrease your own mental chatter. It doesn't, you know, there are some things that have nothing to do with money. Um, but I do understand, you know, the, the way the research goes is that if you're under a certain level, like if you're living at a poverty level, a certain amount of money can increase your happiness in that you can actually live and survive in an apartment or home, you know, and, and not worry about that. Right. So there is a small level of happiness when you are in you know, true poverty. Sure. But then beyond that, yep. happiness doesn't increase based on that's why when someone's like has one billion dollars, why do they need two billion dollars? It much, makes no sense. How much is enough? Um, Team Zen is something Kathy and I do. Uh, we do Zen talks, which is twice a month. We have about 90 people on the team. Um, almost two thirds of them are coming to the conference, but um, zero pressure, 100% support. We do Zen talks where we have video conversations with our team and we kind of inspire each other and help each other and all that. We have a Facebook page. We do discounts in the Zen store. So if you're interested, go to zenparentingradio.com. We also were blessed to get a few reviews. One from Music Soldier from the USA, sweetie. Love Todd and Kathy. They always bring terrific advice on how to be a better parent and a better person. They complement each other very well. Did you know that we compliment each other very well? Well, that's very kind. Thank you. They're funny. They're down to earth. They give real practical advice and feel good spiritual inspiration. I feel grateful to get an hour with them once a week through their podcast. Today, it's an hour and 10 minutes. And then... uh, Mountain Sal says, my only, my only solace in just recently finding this podcast is that I can listen to older recordings throughout the week. Kathy and Todd put language to feeling. Every episode taps into self-awareness and channels it into authentic practice. I love this podcast. Well, you know what, Mountain Sal? We love you too. We do. 
And you too, music soldier. Buffalo uh, soldier. You know what it says on iTunes is that it says, it these, says the these years. These two get it? No. Yeah, that was your review. That cracked me up. <laughs> um, actually, um, somebody else, somebody, somebody else's podcast that I listened to, she reviewed herself and she wrote, this is mine. I like it. <laughs> I At least she perfect. owned it. I know. I was pretending to be somebody else. And, which, and then it came up as Todd Adams wrote this. Yes. I was cracking up. He did that like 10 years ago. But that's what I was going to say is that our podcast says 2014 to 2019. And we've actually been around since 2010. We'll talk so to Brad. Brad why, will fix it. Yeah. Why does it say that? I don't know. Why are they not giving us those four years? What is Todd? she doing back there? What is she doing? I never know what she's doing. I never know what she's doing back there. <laughs> um, and then we have a conference this Friday, a little conference that we like to call Zen Parenting Radio Conference. Get your brave on. Glennon Doyle and... Uh, Abby Wambach. Abby Wambach, Julie Lithcutt, Hames, Devorah Heitner, John Duffy, Ellie Solomon, Karen Brody. Jamal Cole. Jamal Cole and... Kathy Richardson. Kathy Richardson. That's actually a surprise for some people. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't she's going to be there. That, so yeah. I know. Well, and we couldn't... So Kathy Richardson is the lead singer of Jefferson uh, Starship. And so she couldn't... Super confirmed to me that she would be there until she knew her schedule. But Kathy will be singing for us. It's going to be off the hook. It's going to be wonderful. We always have to have music. I know. Well, after Milk, it's kind of a must. Yeah. I feel like we forgot to mention somebody. Did we say Ali Solomon? We said Ali Solomon, Dr. Alexandra yeah, Solomon. That's everybody. So, anyways, um, just a few tickets left, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, kind of tickets left. I mean, I we're trying to figure out seating now. I know. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. All right. Um, love you all. Hope to see you at the conference. If not, we'll be back next week and kind of give you an update of how we thought it went. I'm sneezing. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you. Any more in there? Uh, yeah, but I'm going to wait till we're done. All right. Uh, keep trucking. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. If you want more Zen parenting, check out Team Zen. It's 25 bucks a month where you'll get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions. If you can't join us live, don't worry. You can still access all Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page and get discounts on everything that we offer. Get your tickets for our annual Zen Parenting Conference on March 8th and 9th, 2019. Sweet. Get your brave on with Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambeck, Julie Lithcott-Hames, and Devorah Heitner, and enjoy a weekend in a warm and friendly environment of like-minded people. Tickets are available at zenparentingradio.com. Sweetie, it's going to be off the hook. I know. Um, interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. They're not your three books. Well, your three books. Thank you. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Um, guys, want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationship with loved ones? Good news. I coach guys. We can talk in person, by phone, FaceTime. You choose. If you're in Chicago, contact me about the tribe. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And don't forget about our 2019 Unplug, Connect, and Transform Retreat. More, more on that later. Special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft, from Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support, Jeremy. Sweetie, he's a bald head of beauty. I know this. All right, everybody, keep trucking. See you next week. Adios.